I chose the passage that I wanted to preach from this week before um, the video showed up, and that'll make sense in a second. Um, I just wanted to preach the gospel and the goodness of God, and, and very often God will provide an incident or an experience in the week that's just like a really great um, illustration. But something happened this week, and I'm sure many of you heard about it, that is just more than beyond an illustration. And so I felt like it was a very holy moment. And so I want to read you the scripture from today. And we can have that video getting cued, but don't start it yet. Um, Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak and following, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since, therefore, we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And here's kind of my main passage. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now shall we be reconciled. Sorry, Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? And more than that, we also rejoice in God, that through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now been reconciled. And I'll read that part again. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Last year, you may have heard this news story. A Dallas, Texas police officer was returning to her house after a 13-hour shift and showed up at her apartment to find that the front door was already unlocked. She had been texting with somebody trying to organize a, a hookup and it was surprised to find out that the door was locked when she put the key in it. And when she went inside, all the lights were out, but she heard that there was someone inside and she drew her gun and said something and ended up firing on the person in the apartment, striking him in the heart and killing him. And when the lights went on, she realized that she was not in her apartment, but she had mistakenly gone to the apartment one floor below and walked into the apartment of one of her neighbors who was eating ice cream in the dark, watching TV, and panicked and shot him fatally. And this news story became very famous very quickly for a bunch of reasons. Not, and some of those reasons include that, um, if you know, know anything about what's going on with our friends in the South, and I mean that, I think that we should, in some senses, consider the United States our friends. Um, we share the longest unguarded border in the world. And in most of human history, they would have conquered us a long, long time ago. That's just what world superpowers do to their neighbors. A long, long time ago. Um, there are more people in California than in all of Canada. If, if all of our country became a state in the United States, we wouldn't even be a big one. And so the fact that things have been so peaceful for so long, I, I, I think we should in some sense, consider them our friends and actually want their good. 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as much as possible. But if you know anything that's been going on there in recent years, um, the United States is becoming more and more sensitized to racial issues, particularly between whites and blacks. There are lots of different races in the United States, pretty much all of them, um, but the particularly racial tensions between whites and blacks are a big deal. And the woman who was the police officer with the gun was a white woman, and the man who was shot was African-American. So instantaneously, this was a big issue. Not only this, but if you're aware at all with the news, we know that gun violence is a really big issue in the States right now, and the desire to uh, fight and change the laws over these things. And so the fact that someone was shot in the dark is a big deal. Not only this, if you've been keeping up with the news, you also know that um, violence or shootings by police officers and shootings of police officers is also a very sensitive topic in the States with um, groups feeling like they're unfairly shot a lot and police officers feeling like they're being retaliated against publicly by being shot. So this news story was kind of a perfect storm. A white police officer shooting a black man in his house to death. Well, the trial just finished this week, which is itself its own kind of travesty that it takes an entire year for something like that to complete going to trial. But that's a different subject. And the police officer who had been fired and is no longer a police officer was tried for murder because, as a police officer, she should have kind of noticed it wasn't her apartment, and her official training was that if you find somebody in your apartment, you don't go in there guns blazing. You actually go away if they don't notice you're there and call for backup. And So she broke her training and intentionally shot someone, and so she was tried for murder and found guilty, I think, on October 1st or 2nd of this year. And the next day, they were, as part of sentencing, they had um, statements from people impacted by it. They do this in, in trials now where victims or people impacted by crimes can have a chance to express themselves. I don't know if they always did that. And one of the people who was sharing, and this is all videotaped, was the man's brother, Brant Jean. Amber Geiger was the police officer, and Brant Jean is the brother of Botham Jean, who was shot. And it turns out that they were both Christians. And so this is the address of the brother of the man who was shot in his own apartment and killed by a police officer whose job it was to actually protect people from things like this. And so we want to roll this video. And if you've seen it, that's great, but this actually deserves quite a bit of attention. So we're going to watch his statement.
with all the all the guilt, all the things, the bad things you have done in the past. Each and every one of us may have done something that we're not supposed to do. If you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask Him, He will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say, again, I'm speaking for myself, not even that for my family. So she was found guilty and sentenced to 10 years in jail, but further news reports, and forgive me if I get the details wrong, everybody reports things a little different, but um, the judge in that case, Tammy Kemp, also met with uh, her afterwards, um, went into her chambers and got her personal Bible and gave it to her, said to her, it's not because anybody's good, it's about Christ. Your job now is to believe this, to read this. We forgive you, and you make sure you forgive yourself. I think essentially meaning believe that God will forgive you. I don't think I've ever shown a video in a sermon before. That was an absolute miracle from God.
and a really good example of what it looks like when someone loves their enemies and wishes that we'd be reconciled. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved by his life? Uh, This police officer is a woman who has been loved by her enemy. In the name of Jesus. It's almost unbelievable. And what I, I know our culture, our culture is like to watch the video once or twice and to feel the feels and then to just move on, right? Like, it, that was a miracle from God. And it was a bit of a setup because this video is going all over the world. We had a friend, Jackie and I, a friend in England who was posting this thing. So there's a lot of people are seeing what it can look like when somebody loves their enemies in the name of Jesus, even in the midst of profound loss and suffering. And it reminds me of the gospel because this lady is in one of the like experiences of gospel kindness that's so clear. Um, she, she was guilty. And this is one of the things about that the Bible teaches us is that we're guilty too. We don't like to think about being guilty though. Um, reports have it that when the officer realized what she'd done, that she'd shot a man dead in his own apartment, there was this panic phone call to her mom while she was just yelling and screaming like, I didn't mean to, and what's happened, and it's not my fault, and and just human nature, the mind is to try to excuse ourselves and defend ourselves and get out from the consequences of what we've done or what we do. Just imagine you killed somebody by accident. You thought you were protecting yourself, but you were actually the aggressor. You were the one breaking into somebody else's apartment. You shot first without asking questions, and you totally betrayed what you knew was the right thing to do as a trained police officer to kill somebody. Just imagine the guilt and shame, the panic that would come along with that. And we don't want to feel that way, right? In life, anybody, nobody, we don't like it. Our brains want to excuse, our brains want to defend, our brains want to get away. And so part of even the job of the Bible and of a preacher is to help us see that we're, we're in trouble. And in the book of Romans, which I'm reading out of to talk about God's kindness and loving his enemies, there's three ways at the, in the first couple of chapters that God shows us that we need a rescue, that we're actually like this lady, that we are on trial for what we've done against God. And the three ways that he, he talks about is, number one is breaking his law. In Romans chapter 2, it, shows, it says that, It says, for all who have sinned without the law, meaning God's law in the Bible, will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. It's not those who hear the law that are righteous, but those who do it that will be justified. And when Gentiles, meaning non-Jewish people, people who didn't have the Old Testament, when, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law, and they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. And what that means is that the God of the universe who made everything, he's a God of the right and wrong. 
He's a God who's totally good and totally right. And he cares about right and wrong. And, and he has shown us in his word, and especially through the Ten Commandments, what his ideas of right and wrong are. But more than just books or words on the page, he's actually written on our heart a sense of right and wrong. We call the conscience. Have you ever had your conscience go at you? No, never. Well, you ever had your conscience convict you that you just lied in a world where there's a God who never lies and his intention was that we would never lie? You ever got convinced that you just took something that didn't belong to you? The internet's made it really easy. In a world created by a God who never has stolen anything but only gives generously, and his expectation is that we would never have stolen anything. Have you ever killed anybody? Probably not, but we live in a world where God says, even if you just wished someone weren't there anymore, that's a heart of a murderer. He's shown us his law and the conscience. Maybe you don't feel particularly convinced in your conscience, but the Word of God also says that we can be guilty before the Lord just by hypocrisy or judging other people for things that we do ourselves. It says in chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. Right? How old do your kids have to get before you realize that you're telling them to, to not do things you do all the time? Like a year? <laughs> Stop crying! <laughs> Why won't they stop crying? <laughs> Maybe it's just me. And it's kind of funny, but at the same time, it's part of God saying to us, we're so broken that we don't even get it when we want to condemn people for what we do. And God says that's worthy of being condemned by God. And before we've even done anything, even in chapter 1, God says the main problem is this. He says, for what can be known about God is plain to us. For God has shown it to us by his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have clearly been perceived since the creation of the world and the things he made, so that we're without excuse. So although we knew God, we did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And the book of Romans starts with that being the biggest problem. Anybody, anybody with eyes who can look outside and see trees and clouds, like, do you know how hard it is to pump water in a house? And God's like, I'm going to make the water like rise off the ground by itself and then move to some place where there's less water and then fall out of the sky all by itself. And you, you just look at your hand and just move it like this. How did that happen? My wife. All this evidence. We didn't make this. It is amazing. And if our hearts were right, we would say, God, you're amazing. I want to honor you with my whole life. I want to spend the rest of my life just giving thanks, just giving thanks, just giving thanks. 
honor, honor, honor. Like, tell me what to do. I want to obey you. Show me more of who you are. I love you with my whole heart. If we were okay, that's how we would all be all the time. Says God. But we're not okay. And so no matter what the brain says and the mouth speaks, we're amber. Who we are and what we've done has really made us deserve to go into God's courtroom for justice. What normal would have been is a bunch of people celebrating her conviction and family members getting up and like Brant said, saying, this punishment isn't enough because of what you've done to us. I hope you die. I hope you go to prison. I hope somebody kills you there. I hope your name goes down in infamy. I hope that everything bad happens to you. That would be normal, right? But instead we saw the power of the cross of Jesus Christ making a miracle happen. We love to be victims. And here we have this man who is a victim and can look forward to the future for about 40 to 50 years of a brother not being there. Every day, his older brother not being there. And instead of wanting justice, he sought out forgiveness and well-wishing and reconciliation and so obviously was doing this for Jesus where he's just saying to her over and over again, when I think what the best thing that could happen to you is, I want you to find peace in Jesus Christ. When I think about the best possible outcome for my brother's death being for you, it's this, that you would meet Jesus and that you would be free first in your heart and in your mind and then even, I don't even need you to go to jail. And in doing this, he's acting just like God did with his son Jesus. He's been wronged, and he has every right to demand vengeance, but he wants to rescue the person who's wronged him. And God has been wronged by our thoughts about him and our treatment of people made in his image. And he has done everything to reach out to us to make peace and to actually remove the consequences. This is one of the things that's different. That guy there, Brandt, he cannot make the prison sentence any less. It was in somebody else's hand. But because God is the judge and the Father's the judge and Jesus is the judge, they can come to us and not only say, I want reconciliation, they can also say, and I have absorbed the punishment. And that's why we worship Jesus' cross. That's why he had to die. Because justice did demand a punishment for sin. And it was a punishment none of us could survive. And so instead, Jesus, with a heart of I don't want you to die, my enemy said. I will take that punishment. And what couldn't happen would be is if Amber would then go to the witness booth 
and Brand would go and sit behind the defendant's chair. And when everything is said and done, the bailiff would go and take Brand off to jail to serve her sentence. That's what the gospel does. When we come to Jesus to be reconciled to God, all the punishment happened 2,000 years ago. All of it. That's why we call it the finished work of Jesus. When Jesus was dying on the cross, the Gospel of John tells us he cried out, Tetelestai, which means it is finished. Your punishment is finished. Your guilt is finished. Your shame is finished. Your threat of wrath is finished. It's finished on the cross. It's a finished work of Jesus. He did it all. And so when we come to him, it's a complete salvation. It's a complete rescue. It's a complete reconciliation. It's what could never happen here. God has done in the throne room of heaven by the cross. When we come to Jesus, it's all the way done by Jesus. And what we're called to do is to receive this by faith. Hey, what do I have to do to be right with God? Jesus answered that question in the Gospel of John. He said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that God sent, which is a weird way to answer this. So, what do I got to do to impress God? Believe in Jesus. What do I got to do to make all the bad stuff from my past go away? Believe in Jesus. What do I have to do to please him today? Believe in Jesus. We are, we're a, a people of trust, a people of faith. And you can kind of see that even happen here. It's not perfect, but do you remember that moment where he's... <laughs> it's so good, it's so good. He turns to the judge and says, can I give her a hug, which never happens in courtrooms? How can you tell that she believed Brandt when he said, I love you? How can you tell she believed him when he says, I forgive you? How can you tell she believed him when he says, I don't want you to go to jail? How can you tell she believed him? Yeah, she met him halfway. She didn't just sit behind the chair going, I don't believe it. She didn't sit behind the chair saying, not me. She didn't sit behind the chair going, I hate all you guys. I hate this courtroom. I hate this judge. I hate this Jesus. As soon as the judge said, okay, like the judge wasn't saying okay to him. She was saying okay to her because if she tried to get up behind the bench, you saw the armed guard there with the gun. It was his job to stop her. He's justice. You don't get up and hug somebody. You don't get up and get mercy. You don't get up and get compassion. You don't get up and get forgiveness. You sit there. But as soon as the judge said, yeah, you can do that. She's up. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. It's a little bit different with us because we actually get to say to God, even the strength to get up, I got from God. Even the ability to believe, I got from God. Even eyes to see the kindness of God, I got from God. But that's the miracle. She believed him. And that's why she's like, hug, hug done. No, one more hug. Okay, hug number two, done. Okay, and then one more hug. I think she went back three times because she believed it. That the last place on earth she'd ever thought she would get grace, she got grace. 
In the last place on earth she ever thought she would find a friend, she got a friend. In the last place on earth she ever thought someone would be kind to her, the day after she's found guilty of murder is where she found kindness. Wouldn't you run? She doesn't have a friend in the world, but the brother of the guy she killed. So she ran to him. And this is Jesus for us. If everything wrong we ever did was on display, we wouldn't have a friend in the world but Jesus. So we run to him. What's the Christian life? You go for hug number one, and then when it seems like that's good, you come back for hug number two, and then when that's good, you come back for hug number three. This is the Christian life. We come back to Jesus, and then we go back to Jesus, and then we go back to Jesus, and then we go back to Jesus. He never sleeps. He never gets tired. He never gets worn out. His blood is always enough for the next sin and the next failure and the next fault. And even when we hate ourselves, and she said during the trial, I hate myself for what I did. He's there saying, I don't hate you. So if you become a Christian, or if you are a Christian, what are you going to do with your life? Can I, I want to suggest a place to start, and it's right here in verse 11. It says, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If we know what God's really done for us, he's our, the best thing in our life. Amen? Amen? If we know that God loves us so much that when we were on our worst day, when we hated him, when we were enemies, he did everything to bring us home and to make us his child, he should be the best part of our life. And I know we have good days and I know we have bad days. I have more bad days than most people. But God's our joy now. Just like the judge afterwards comes down, embraces her, speaks words of comfort, Gives her, her own, gives her a word of hope and peace. The judge has made us his, da- his dad, or him, his, our dad. The judge has adopted us. The judge has said, I want to be the best part of your life. And so what's the work to do after believing Jesus? Let's be happy about God. Let's rejoice in God. Don't you want to be happy? Let's be happy in God. That's our right. It's our privilege. It's our hope. It's not a chore. Though it is something to fight for when your heart doesn't want to participate with it. It's not a guilt trip. Though it is something to maybe send your guilt on a trip if it's getting in the way of you enjoying God. And then the other thing is this. I just want to end here. Greg, you can... Have you decided on what we're singing yet? Okay, good. (laughs) I think God is doing a few things. I'm not a prophet, but I think God is doing a few things through publicizing this miracle. Number one, I think he's just put North America on notice that all the ways we're trying to fix our problems aren't working. 
Okay, who is, who is the freest American we know right now? Brant Jean. In a country full of people who say they're free, God bless them, who's the freest American in, um, in the U.S.? That guy. Because he loved when everybody else said you should hate. And so, if God decides to make this world news, he's saying to us, this is how you do it. This is the only way to really be free. This is the only way to really fix anything. And I think he's saying to his church, there is a guy whose brother was killed a year ago who was hugging the murderer. Where are you at? This is what God can do. That guy's not abnormal. He's just met with the Lord. And I think God would say to all of us, this is what I can do to the human heart. Where are you at? I can do this for you. I can do this for you. We've died in Christ. Now Christ lives in us. He can do this. And I think he would also say this. If God was willing to let Botham Jean die so that Amber Geiger could have the chance of experiencing the gospel, what about everybody else who is not experiencing gospel kindness right now? There are thousands of people in Steinbeck who do not know that this is what God is like. They do not know that God loves his enemies. They do not know that by free grace you can trust Jesus and have all of your sins forgiven by God. They don't know it, but they need to. There are millions of people in Canada who do not know that this is what God is like. There are billions of people in this world who just don't know. And if nobody tells them, they will go to the courtroom of God with no defender, with just their guilt. There will be no Brant Jean pleading to the judge, let me embrace them with grace. There will just be the prosecutor and a never-ending punishment. So if we're going to get touched by this stuff and see the glory of God in this, can we also at the same time remember there's so many people who have no idea that this is what God is like, that Jesus is raised from the dead so that every guilty soul can come and be completely saved by, by God. That, that though we are his enemies, he wants us as beloved children who rejoice in him. Father, I thank you so much that you, uh, you're alive and well and working in the world, obviously. I thank you so much for your willingness to let your son Botham be killed so that you could glorify Jesus. I thank you for the submission and humility of the Jean family as they extend their forgiveness. I pray you'd save them from the temptation of the enemy to turn this into something different than what you want it to be. Would you rescue them? I pray for the soul of Amber Geiger, Lord, that your gospel extension would find good soil and that you would grant her repentance unto everlasting life and that she would become your servant in this life. I pray, Father, that as we see in the flesh the grace of God being extended, I pray that we would lay down every mis misconception we have about you. You are that good. 
You are this good. And I pray you'd help me and all of us just come to you and to embrace you and be embraced by you. And God, I pray you'd fill us with such a compassion for the lost. In Jesus' name.